This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Inspiration, brave action, and heartwarming journeys. This is what the Louise H. Reed Show brings you. Now, here's your host, Louise H. Reed. And thank you for joining me yet again this wonderful Tuesday for episode number 76. 76 of the show. I'm your host, Louise H. Reed. With listeners in over 145 countries and millions of iTunes downloads and ongoing podcasts, I'm the fortunate host here live every Tuesday to talk life and leadership with everyday people doing extraordinary things. People who take brave, bold action in pursuit of their dreams and goals and are here to share their journey to help you do the same in yours. There is absolutely nothing more valuable than time. And so as a way of showing my gratitude to you for joining me each and every week, everyone who comments on a podcast episode with the hashtag LadyBossLoyalty are automatically entered into a draw to win exclusive LadyBossLoyalty swag. There are draws every month and there is new swag coming soon. So please comment away on Facebook, YouTube, or LinkedIn and good luck. Now, without further ado, let's, let's join uh, today's guest. We have with us Kirsten Anderson. Kirsten is the founder of Integrate Play Solutions, where as a creativity catalyst, trainer, and speaker, she helps organizations around the world build better businesses and increase performance by integrating playfulness into everyday work. She helps diverse organizations and business leaders come up with creative solutions to their messiest challenges using highly effective and proven methodologies to foster innovation, increase team cohesion, productivity, sales, retention, and well-being playfully. I love that last word, playfully. A few of the clients that Kirsten has had the honor of serving include Nav Canada. I used to work for Nav Canada, actually. Nav Canada, TELUS, Simon Fraser University, Monkey Media Software, Dominion Securities, College of Pharmacists, and I Am Empowered Conference. Kirsten, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yes, let's do this. In your playground or your sandbox. (laughs) I love it. I love it. How about both? Um, So one of the things that I read in your bio that maybe we'll start there and let's see where we play and where where we jump to. You're a creativity catalyst. That just sounds exciting. So can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Well, there's a lot of organizations and and it's, it's not that desire creativity within different departments of their organization. It's not just for marketing. Uh, It is actually for every aspect of business requires creativity and creative problem solving. So I use Lego serious play as my main tool, the main methodology to go in and and help people, uh, you know, access that part of themselves that so often people are willing to say, oh, I'm not creative anymore because it kind of gets schooled out of us, right? When we're, when we're about like six or seven, uh, we realize that if we put our hand up, you know, we're going to get, we might make a mistake and then we're going to be embarrassed. And so we stop answering. And so 
I'm there, I, I just did this really huge conference. Um, there was 1,300 people there. Uh, we for She. It's the largest gender diversity, you know, promoting uh, more women in leadership. So half of it was teenage girls and half of it was business leaders. And uh, I did a, a creativity exercise that was all about getting these girls and business leaders as well to really embrace that label. We are all creative. Whatever we do, whether your passion is science or math or engineering, all the STEM uh, activities or, or fine arts, it's not just for fine arts creativity. So that's a, that's a small piece of it. I, I, I love that. And I wrote, for those who are watching live on Facebook would have seen me raise my hand when you made the comment, people say, a lot of people say, I'm not creative. Why, and you, you mentioned that, you know, oftentimes it starts very, at a very young age. Why do we have such a narrow view? What, yeah, what's your opinion I, on that, of what creativity actually is? Because that was me. I was raising my hand saying, yeah, that's me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that we, we do put these labels on people. And it's, it's really not necessary when we look at how we're doing problem solving, right? You, every day when you put on your clothes in the morning, you made some creative decisions on what you were going to put together, you know, how, how you put your house together, you know, the way that you interact with people is a creative decision. So creativity is a current that runs through our lives. And do we want to embrace more creativity in our lives as a, as a way to express ourselves and a way to improve everything that we do, right? Like, whether it's at work or at home, we can use those creative muscles, keep flexing them. And there's different ways to, to, to do that, to keep moving forward with our lives. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question in a minute about how to keep that current flowing. But I, you said something I thought was beautiful. Creativity is a current that runs through our lives. Ooh, Isn't yeah. that awesome, everyone? <laughs> <laughs> I may not have said that before. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. You just said, I, I, and I think that's for someone who has resisted for many years, that label of creative, because I felt that that puts pressure on me that people then think I can draw. People think that, right, right. And I, and I, and I can't, and I really can't. But so what? There's lots of other ways to express that. And it's been, um, it's been a challenge for me being able to sort of rewrite that story. So I, I really appreciate the way that you just expressed that. So you well, said you that there about judgment. I, I would just want to touch on that ah. because that word judgment, like you judging yourselves and a fear of being judged by others. That is what I was referring to about that in education. When we start early that we get, as we get older into the middle school years and the high school years that amplifies where we have that fear of judgment. And so when I do a drawing exercise with teenagers and business leaders, and we talk about that fear of judgment, justifying our abilities. That is what we can let go of when we access our young selves. Just picture a, a four-year-old showing you their drawing. That's just scribbles. And they're, and they're saying, this is this. And this means this. And this part of the drawing means this. And they're not judging themselves. And we're not judging them for their ability, right? Like, what if we gave ourselves permission to play permission to put ourselves out there and make mistakes and it is what it is how yeah. would that be I love the what if when you ask the question when you start any you know any statement or turn a statement into a what if question it's quite that in and of itself is quite playful isn't it 
so fear of judgment, fear of failure. Um, these are things that we, that everyone, as you just suggested, can really res can really resonate with having experienced that. And then you also have mentioned that you know exercising the creativity muscle can 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 help combat that. How do you start? Where is a safe place for someone who, perhaps like me, who is in that sort of fear of even self-judgment, fear of failure regarding creativity? Where do we start to exercise or how do we start to exercise that muscle? Start with people and to talk about um, how and this relates to a lot of different aspects of what I call the playful mindset. Uh, if you can think back to what you loved doing as a child, where you felt free and, and time just flew by and you lost track of time, what were you doing? Maybe it was working on a math problem. Maybe it was creating a fort or sliding down a banister or swimming in a lake. These are, when we access these memories of our, our childhood to get those kind of triggers of what might inspire us as an adult where does this show up in our adult life and following that path and the, the fear that we have really develops as we're getting older so we can let go of a lot of those fears and those judgments when we access that childhood that childlike playfulness that we had um, it's all still inside of us it's, it's not that we're not creative anymore it's just that it's pushed down so it's just about yeah, letting letting that go, getting rid of that that burden um, that we've put on ourselves, uh, society, you know, authority, whatever you want to um, put it. But it's you know just kind of growing and, and learning new new skills. One other way to do it is is new experiences. So new experiences, new people, and as we grow and and try new things, uh, especially the things that we fear. Uh, then that really helps gain confidence in uh, our ability to kind of figure out anything. So I will say that I recently did take a calligraphy class. I know and that was a big deal for me. Yeah. It was a really big deal for me because it's not the kind of stuff that I will typically go out and spend my time on or spend money on or put my energy into. But I thought I, as, as I'm, as I'm studying in the process of writing a book, I thought, what a great way to be able to expand my creativity in a way that's not writing. Well, it is obviously with calligraphy, but in terms of coming up with creative content, it's actually just accessing it in a different way. So stay love tuned it. on that. Love it. Love it. <laughs> yes. And dropping, dropping those labels about not being creative. Cause when you're doing that calligraphy, you are, you're in the flow, really. Flow it's, is funny though, it's funny how um, it is hard to let go of those labels. Because even still within, within doing that, I was still finding myself feeling, I, I wasn't really letting go, right? I was still feeling very structured that this is the way it's supposed to be and do this, do that, heavy on, heavy on the way up, light on the way down. And I just even found that interesting that the, the voice in my head was much easier to hear, the critical voice yeah. in that moment, which, yeah. which allowed me then to challenge it a bit better and then also... I just took a big gulp of wine and then and then carried on. So that that worked. That worked in the moment too. It's funny you should mention wine because you know, <laughs> as far as playfulness goes, 
for adults, a lot of people don't give themselves permission to play or let go without alcohol or another uh, substance that may give them that freedom, that permission to play. And, and so this is where I'm on a mission and, and there's, you know, a, another half dozen, half dozen people, adults out there trying to get adults to also play more and, and have that permission. You know, we, I used to wear a white lab coat as a toyologist and we had prescription uh, prescriptions for play on the back of our lab coat. And here I am still, you know, all these years later, still giving that prescription for play. What if Louise and all the listeners, you gave yourselves permission to play and Maybe you're sitting there doing the calligraphy and you say, what would five-year-old Louise say to myself in this moment as the beast, the gremlin, the inner critic is telling you, oh, no, you've got to do it this way. You've got to stay in this box. What, how powerful could that be if you gave yourself that permission to not judge yourself? I love that. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to challenge myself and I'm challenging listeners as well to do the same. To do the same. What would five, your five-year-old self say to you in that? In those moments yeah let's rewind the clock a little bit Kirsten yeah. and so you said that play has been a big part of your life from a work perspective mm-hmm. you know, and let us know how did how did that start because I'm sure five-year-old Kirsten wasn't saying I'm going to be a creativity <laughs> catalyst and no. I'm open my own business and so tell us a little bit about what five-year-old Kirsten wanted to do and <laughs> walk us through how it how it led you to where you are I wonder if any five-year-old self really knows what they yeah. want to do. I think we're all still figuring it out as we go. Uh, you know, whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, it's it's an ongoing thing where, you know, day by day we we figure it out. And, uh, and I'm no different in that respect. But as a child, I, you know, as many children are very open to trying new things and trying lots of different things, I, I did... I remember my mom signing me up for a drawing on the right side of the brain. It was an adult night school course, and I was a child. I was the only child <laughs> in the course. Uh, my sister ended up being the professional artist, illustrator, author, but I did love writing and uh, and drawing as a child. And there was those art classes in high school that put that judgment on me, like, "Oh, I'm not good enough. This is not the path for me." And my dad was a psychologist and my mom ended up uh, buying a toy store at, um, I guess I was about 18, 19 when she did that. So I left movie theater management where I was 19 and had a staff of like 70 people. I was accelerating through management super fast uh, with Cineplexodian theaters. and, And that was super fun industry to be in. But my mom was like, come manage the toy store. So there I was for 10 years helping her travel around the world, find the finest toys from around the world, from Europe, and and just like not your big box uh, toys that you would find. So loved the interactions with the public and just really helping them find something that would be like pennies per playtime. So the best value for, for them. At about 29, I, she was, you know, looking at retirement and I decided I was going to open my own toy store. And so took that huge leap, that risk, that faith to, that I could do it because I had learned a lot of 
you know, from my mom and done all the mistakes there. So I was able to open my own toy store with this branding of these toyologists with white lab coats that would give like top advice because really what in business, you know, what is your differentiator? That was a huge differentiator for us because when you go into a big box store, you're not really going to get that expert advice. So we were the experts. People could remember us. What ended up happening is we got national TV coverage within the first three months of opening. And then following that, we uh, global TV discovered us and we ended up being uh, on their show once a month as the play experts. I would go in and show, you know, prime the best play things for different themes. And I did that for like the 12 years and we um, kind of became known. People would, a destination, people would drive from all over. We ship product all over the, all over Canada anyways. And it was a great career. I was uh, 25 years in the toy industry. Yeah, (laughs) it's a long time. That's amazing. And so, and, and then, and so what happened, what happened next? Yes. What was the big earthquake? The <laughs> shattering. Uh, it was uh, the store was doing great, and I got a little bit restless. I would say I was. I had kind of reached a peak. I felt like I had accomplished what I'd wanted to accomplish. We won Toy Store of the Year for Canada, and I loved it. I love the industry. I love the people, both inside and and the public, like interacting with these loyal customers in the neighborhood, being introduced always first in a group this is Kirsten she, she's a toyologist she has this store and and that was like my whole identity really but yet I was obsessed with the fact that of compression in the toy industry which is kids playing less and less they were um also playing stopping playing with toys younger and younger and it was very concerning to me and it wasn't just about screens it is so much bigger than that. It's kind of like a whole nother topic, but where it led me was this value of play, not just for children, but for middle schoolers, for high schoolers, for adults throughout their lives at work and senior citizens at every stage play is valuable. It's a biological need we have. Uh, We can't survive without play. And so as I dove deeper and deeper into the topic, I was like, what if what if I just kind of opened up to that possibility what if I could make a living uh, exploring the the power of play for adults and then the ripple effect of that if we could get adults playing in the workplace and they valued it that much more they were enlightened and empowered to play more what if they took that home and then their high schoolers thought hey cool my parents are valuing play and then they started playing more and then and it trickled down to all the to all the ages and trickled up even so that is uh that was the mission that I left with I sold my store so fast like within weeks which I didn't expect that I didn't have time to create a business plan so I really did not know what the heck how I was gonna make a living doing this (laughs) And and that I I admire I really appreciate that whole story because I think a lot of my a lot of my listeners are in situations where they too have been taking leaps and people who uh, ask themselves those questions what if and, and and look for something more fulfilling and bigger in their lives often get to a point where they have to make a leap because at some point the leaps are required yeah. and so 
what did you tap into when you made that decision and you said, yeah, this is, I'm selling the business and you know, that, that takes, takes courage. It takes a bunch of things. How did you actually go through with that? Because there's a difference between saying, I want to sell my store and I'm going to do this instead. But there's a difference between that and say, and then, and actually doing it. Yeah, I'd, I think I'd been asked to speak a couple of times leading up to that, like not including the, the TV spots, but just to the public uh, in different venues. And so that was giving me some courage, some encouragement to do this. And that, so at that point, I just really saw the speaking piece. <sighs> Facing the fear, I mean, I can't, I think I would rewind the clock back to being 18 <laughs> and when I was in high school, all I wanted to do was travel Europe. It was like an obsession of mine. So I worked three jobs every summer. I worked throughout the year, uh, late nights and every weekend and Christmas day and movie theaters to earn enough money to leave school, six, graduate six months early so I could get to Europe with my backpack and travel alone uh, as an 18 year old through, I don't know, 14 countries on a year rail pass, sleeping in youth hostels and train stations and on ferries and um, having these adventures and misadventures and learning about, you know, the path of the unexpected and the value in the unexpected. And I feel that was so formative for me, that confidence that you know, as Marie Forleo says, everything's figure outable. Mm -hmm. That was kind of ingrained in me in that moment. And yes, things uh, can get, can go south. They can, they can get bad. And yet there's still some value in that uh, no matter what happens, like whether it's bad or good, there's some value. If you end up in a different country than where you expected to be, it's about managing those expectations. And so, you know, I, I left the, that's how I dealt with the fear was saying, I don't know what's going to happen, but whatever happens, I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to grow from it and I'll figure this out. And so here I am still figuring it out. <laughs> to your point. So I love that. And to your point, I think we, we all, uh, those who decide not to stay, who do, those who decide to follow that itch for something more, I think uh, continually um, just, it's a, it's a discovery process, isn't it? Which, which I suppose looked the right way is, can be looked at in a playful, fun um, way, despite the stresses of it, which are a real thing too. Um, so what, what would you say is, is the biggest lesson that you've learned in your life so far? Hmm. Biggest lesson? Oh, well. Well, if, if we stayed on the same thread that we were just on around experimenting, um, you know, that is very much linked to fear. And so that is really about how we operate in the world, whether it's, whether it's within a work environment in a, in a corporate setting or a, a nonprofit or wherever you're working, if you're willing to experiment, try new things, you know, smash the status quo, like this is the way we've always done things. Those are really big ways that I operate, that I, that I love to look at things in a, in a different way and, and, and try these new things and, and focus on how we interact with each other. And you know, I mean, why do we love travel? Yeah, new place, new food, um, new things to see, but isn't it really about the new people? 
that we meet there's really the huge value that comes out of travel not that you can't meet new people where you're at so I love travel but I also which is another reason why I love this speaking career but I also love just meeting new people on zoom every day and new coaching clients and so the biggest lesson I would say is look back to the way you were as a kid as I said before and what is it that you know, you really loved doing the way you loved being mm-hmm. and really kind of, um, I want to say recharge that, you know, plug that back in, that kind of playful mindset that you used to have as a kid. And, and of course, that's the main message that I, I'm out here my, on my main life mission is, you know, play every day, you know, and it's not always the easiest choice. That's, that's, something else people assume oh well if I'm playing then that's you know I'm taking time off it's frivolous it's it has no value so I'm here to you know tell myself and others you know it has value I will be more productive when I play you know I will be a better listener when I'm playful I will be um, more engaged more open-minded I suppose right absolutely more willing to experiment and innovate and be creative yeah it's endless so I have so many, so many questions. Um, so one of them is you said a moment ago, and I want to, I want to go back to this because I think it's important, especially for people recognizing um, the importance of prioritizing this is you said that there's a biological need for us to play. Mm-hmm. And when that is, you know, that being the case, I think that really helps to insert the, the business piece, right? Making sure that it's, that it's um, integrated in how we do our work. Talk to us a little bit about that because I've not heard that before. That's an actual biological need. So talk yeah. about yeah. So there's there's lots of research. Um, one of the most visual ones that I think really sticks with people is the study they did with rats, where rats were deprived of play, and when they are deprived of play, they <laughs> they lose like a fear of um, cats, and they would just like they would die basically. But the rats that were able to play, they had that um, chase instinct instilled in them when they were little. And so they would run away from the cat. Mm-hmm. The ones that were deprived of play were not. Uh, there's studies around serial killers and the link between a lack of play and serial killers. So and- anyone who has a young child right now, <laughs> Get your kid playing. Get them playing. You don't want to raise yeah. a serial killer. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, I mean, there are so many um, different ways that it really uh, affects the brain. And so when we, if, if we just shut that off from our, from our work day and we think, oh, we're, you know, we need to just, you know, buckle down and look at the spreadsheet for eight hours straight actually how many of those hours are actually productive because you haven't done anything else you haven't had a dance break you haven't um, engaged with other people you haven't gone and you know the tech industry gets a a bad rap for um for having all these play opportunities and sometimes it's what um, my friend matthias calls play washing as in they'll put the a foosball table or a pool table or, or some type of play prop in their lobby 
And yet the culture is not really supportive of play and taking that time. While we still want you to work 80 hours a week and maybe on 80, hour 81, you can go down and play on your way home from work. That is not a culture of playfulness. And so when I get super excited, when I see companies that truly value uh, playfulness in how they interact with their customers, so in their customer experience, how they interact with each other, so the employee experience is embedded with playfulness, that is where you really see the results of play is when it's, it's from the top to the bottom, it's, you know, it's throughout an organization that, uh, that it's really um, a part of the pie. And, and that's industry, not industry specific either, which is really cool. Well, I, I love everything that you just said. And the reason I chose this is a long list of, of clients that you've worked with. I chose the ones when I read your bio, those particular ones, because they are, it is a very, it is very diverse. So clearly we've got, you know, we've got the aviation industry, we've got telecommunications, we've got universities, mm-hmm. um, we've got the bank, we've got pharmacists. Um, mm-hmm. These, so, so even that short list uh, alone, we can see, you know, that the, there's value. We're all we're, we're human wherever we go. And so if play in fact is wired to, to value play, it's, it's wherever we are, play must be. Right. So how do you integrate play into your life? Give us, an, give us some insight. I see some balls behind you, which even that looks really fun. <laughs> and beautiful colors on the wall behind you. But tell us a little bit about how you make sure that it's prioritized in your life. Yeah, you know, it's an ongoing thing. And I I alluded to play not being the easiest choice all the time. And so this is where I have to remind myself to practice what I preach. And I am human, as you said, we're human wherever we go. And that means failing. And so, you know, occasionally the struggle is real being an entrepreneur. This has not been an easy journey by any means. I, I have been very lucky with my first paid keynote being in Denmark and some all my first clients have been big huge companies very lucky at the same time there can be um you know to be totally vulnerable there can be gaps in between clients where i'm freaking out like you know who's my next client who am i working with next because it's not obvious people don't wake up and say oh you know what i really need to (laughs) i need some play that's gonna solve all my problems (laughs) it's a bit of an education on my part to explain the the value to companies, the Lego series play brings people in. So a play shows up, of course, in my work when I'm working with clients throughout, but in the, in between times when I'm uh, doing business development, for example, it'd be easy to just sit at my computer all day long. Now having conversations with people on zoom or in person meetings, coffee downtown or wherever I go, those are super playful. You know, we just have a super playful conversation when I'm alone, when I'm isolated, I think this is a challenge for a lot of people that are working remotely now is uh, that, you know, you get distracted by maybe a show or chores or things around the house. And then you're like, okay, now I've got to be super productive where I am. (laughs) And this happens. Were you inside my head head this morning? Right. Oh, I wasted all this time. Now I've got to be super productive. Okay. Now, if you schedule in the play, or if I schedule in the play, okay, I'm going to have a dance break every, you know, half an hour or every hour, whatever the time frame works for you, you know, you have a window and it's scheduled. That can be super powerful because it's almost like when you know you're going on vacation and you know that 
48 hours before their vacation and you're like, I've got to clear my desk. I got to do all this stuff before I go on holidays and you're super, super productive. That kind of works the same way with when you schedule play within your day. So you're like, okay, I've got this, you know, 20 minute dance break scheduled or uh, I'm playing Frisbee, you know, with the dog or I'm doing, you know, whatever it is that lights you up for your own personal play. Maybe it's tennis or something quick that can really be a productivity boost and that's working remotely or uh, in an office. And I know people are like, Oh, I can't dance at the office. Well, there are other opportunities to find play around you, whether your company supplies those opportunities or not. Maybe, maybe knitting is your slow play. Maybe, you know, there's so many opportunities and that, you know, I help coach people on that, but that's a, that's how play shows up for me. Quite often it's a dance break or a forest bathing, walk in the woods is very playful to me. Um, even photography on my cell phone and not professional photography, but like capturing things. I find that really uh, lights me up joy. Like um, it's, it's almost like a visual gratitude journal using the cell phone. To- so that's what we're looking for. Is it a thing that makes you feel joyful? Is that, is that what, we're looking for here the outcome or what would be in case someone else is listening thinking what might that be for me yeah so you're kind of asking me about what is the definition of play uh, you know like how do how you define play and if you ask a lot of play experts you'll get some different opinions about what does play mean and people have different perceptions of play you know, in the corporate world, people think play is the opposite of work. Well, it's not. (laughs) It's not the opposite of work, right? Some people say the opposite of play is not work, it's depression. Um, Because that is when play is completely void. You know, there's a void of play. I also like to say, you know, play is certainly linked to joy. Is play always joyful? Well, when you look at children playing on the playground, if if we want to go back to that, it's not a hundred percent joy every single second of play, but it is something that they're choosing to do themselves. They're, they're choosing that and they're negotiating all the rules and the dimensions of the game. That's why organized sport is by some play experts will say a lot of organized sport is not true unstructured play where we have the freedom to change the rules and make things up as we go along. Sometimes um, working is more playful than that, than an organized sport, <laughs> because there's less rules sometimes. You know, like, oh, we're, we're gonna be creating this new service or we're creating this new product. That's a pretty playful space to be in uh, because there may be less constraints on the way you behave within. Uh, on the other hand, you know, like the, it, there are certainly lots of playful elements to organized sports. So yes, joy is a piece of it. Uh, choice is a big piece of it, you know, making up your own rules. Um, and yeah, so those are kind of like where I go with the definition of play. I'm chuckling with the own rules piece because those of us with children, you know, recognize that very well because kids do that, don't they? All the time you're playing a game that actually has rules and they change the rules. And I remember saying things of guilty of saying, can't change the rules like mid game. Apparently, you, you, you can. Um, I love that you brought that up because when you relate that to our adult lives, you know, reinventing ourselves. I mean, that's what I feel like I did. I reinvented myself. I 
dropped that previous identity of toyologist and took on this playologist role. And they may seem similar, but I feel like, I mean, and I went through a big, not trauma, but self-identity crisis. Like, who am I if I'm not a toyologist? And we're basically reinventing the rules as we go. So what if when we kids said that to us, we kind of reframed it like if you know what are the consequences of changing it mid-game you know what if we what if we did the rules we created new rules at the beginning of the game or should we start the game over again or you know, like just creating that conversation around what does it mean to change the rules I love that yeah I love that thanks for adding that that'll be helpful for my grandkids when yeah. when they come in hopefully in the very very distant future. <laughs> well I hope you keep playing games until then as well <laughs> Interestingly, we've just bought a few board games because, um, well, this is a, it's a sad, re- it's a bad reason as to why we've had to buy new board games. The effects of screen time on my kids have resulted in a couple of kids having multiple concussions. Um, and screen time, well, that, and that's a whole other t- kind of topic in terms of what screens do to the brain and um, and actually make kids more apt to, or, or brains in general, kids and adult brains more, more susceptible to concussions. All that to say, it's been great in a way, because now we're getting to play board games and do things that we have not played for years, including I just picked up the game of life. Oh, yeah, I love that. Right? <laughs> Who remembers the game of life? It's My a long one. <laughs> My parents probably still have that at my house. Anyway. You gave um, yourself permission to play with those games because of something that happened, like could be viewed as negative, but then it turned into a positive. This is like when the power goes out yeah. and people are like, oh, we were forced to play games and <laughs> it's so much fun. And it's so I've actually heard of people that'll have like a power out night because they just want to force themselves to give themselves permission to play. I actually love that power out a power out party um because there was there was a huge power outage on the east coast of canada and the u.s a number of years ago and the number of people who after that were saying it was so nice i got to meet my neighbors people came over and just grabbed what they needed out of the freezer (laughs) and so that whole element of playfulness then was forced upon us and so talking about play and really looking at really, really broadly. So this conversation for me is helping to sort of expand my mindset in terms of what play can, can incorporate. And connection, like those, all those neighbors that connected uh, because the power went out and they played with the possibility of um, what if, what if I went to my neighbors? What if I talked to my neighbor that I hadn't necessarily talked to before? You know, what if we gathered together and, uh, did things together and so yeah gathering those teenagers together to actually play a board game certainly a powerful connector it is I love that I love that um do you have I'm shifting gears a little bit here do you have a, a personal or sort of a professional motto or a mantra or something that keeps you grounded in these moments of um, uncertainty as as an as an entrepreneur what what kind of keeps you grounded in yourself and your mission Hmm. Grounded. Well, the first, I, I'm just launching a podcast myself and it's going to be the, the play with possibility show. And <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And I just, I would say playing with possibility is my mantra that 
you know, we can play with taking the path, not tried potentially that we can explore and be discoverers of all the um, opportunities out there, keeping my eyes open for opportunities. And yeah, so that's kind of what keeps me grounded that, you know, like when I do do hit a low or a place of fear or gremlins or negative self-talk, that I have to remind myself, you know, I play well with others <laughs> yeah. and, you know, just keep getting out there and playing with people and the possibility and the opportunities show up when you put yourself out there. And so that's, you know, like that, this is what you're doing. You're putting yourself out there by meeting a, a new guest every week. And what kind of value does that create for yourself, for your guest, for your listeners? And that's because you're playing with possibility. I, I love I love the simplicity of that and the power of it. From when you said that, um, it made me think of when we got, when we get stressed, we get small, mm. and then you just saying play with possibility that just opens it right up, doesn't it? It yeah. doesn't necessarily make that fear go away, but it completely yeah. changes. It completely changes it. Yeah. What a great what a great um, what a great share and what a great perspective. Yeah. At this stage, when I know this is this too is going to continue to change throughout your life, but what does success mean to you? Mm. How do you define success? Well, I've heard other people saying that success is uh, certainly not monetary, but doing what you want when you want. And there's a piece of that, you know, that freedom is uh, certainly a high value for me. I think living your values is is a big one so because i value freedom that's a piece of my success is that I, i'm living on my own terms i i'm designing and creating a life i love every day uh a coach once asked me years ago you know what would it take for you to go out basically and get a real job which my husband has said to me a couple of times <laughs> And uh, I said, uh, when I'm living in a cardboard box, that's when I'll give up. No, I said, not even. I said, no, actually, I take that back. I, I think I'd have to be dead for me to give up on this uh, mission. And that's what keeps me going is um, just, you know, creating that impact for people. And so that success is is basically hearing back from people that something worked for them something made a difference and you know that that ripple effect and and knowing that if one person tells me something that they're probably going to share that and that will affect someone else so that is success for me is uh, making a difference of course in the in your own within my own immediate family and then of course outside of that yeah thanks for sharing that i i personally don't believe enough people ask themselves those questions that these types of questions Mm -hmm. and I find it fascinating to hear people's responses to that because I think it offers a lot of insight to to others and my hope is that it encourages listeners as well to ask themselves uh, the same question and reflect on that yeah it look different for everybody right it totally does and and it changes it, it was it was different when you owned your toy store that would have and even within that 25 years of owning a toy store what does success mean to you and look like would would have changed as well and so I think it just, um, it, it goes back to your comment about playing with possibilities. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. That definition, it does not have to stay static. 
So talk to me a little bit about why play is it's so important at work in the context of doing the work, not just having play within the work culture when you need to sort of step away and enjoy a bit of playfulness to then be able to focus again. In the context of decision making or um, you know, the actual work itself. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yes, that's the product productivity piece, the, the first one you mentioned. And yeah, around decision making, uh, which of course is a part of every role in every aspect of the business. So if I came in and I spoke at an AGM, there would be people there from finance, from sales, from product development. So I'm speaking to a very wide range of, of roles. And I don't have to be an expert in all those roles, but decision-making is one aspect that they all have in common. So what I look for is the aspects that they have in common and then look at how play impacts those. So decision-making, for example, is a lot about, um, you know, how do we make this a win-win situation? So when we look at playfulness and how we're, interacting with each other in a, in a playful setting, again, going back to how we were as kids, we looked for situations where it was win-win because if one person was super unhappy, they're taken off, right? They're, they're not, well, fine. I'm just not playing. <laughs> but, you know, like I'm going to go find another piece of playground equipment if we can't make this game work for us. So if we take that into the corporate setting or in any work environment, you know, how do we negotiate with each other where it's a yes and situation. Yes, I hear you. And I'd like to add on to that. And so that, you know, I, br I bring in a lot of the lessons that I've learned through improv and improv improvisation into a setting where, you know, we may play some games and people really get the foundations of active listening, you know, receiving an offer, you know, adding on to that with more ideas. And so that leads to more collaborative, cohesive decision-making. Um, the Lego Serious Play lends itself to democratic decision-making because everyone is heard at the table equally instead of one or maybe 20% of the room, like just the extroverts or some of the, maybe it's a, a culture piece or maybe it's a hierarchy piece where only the leaders are speaking at the table and we're not getting all the diverse ideas at the table I love that play takes out a lot of bias. You know, we bring in so much more voices to the table and we need diversity of thought, diversity of perspectives. If we want to be innovative, if we want to, you know, differentiate ourselves, move our products and services forward, we need diversity of thought. So play brings everybody to the table and gives them equal voice. I love that. I love that. Being a big proponent of diversity and inclusion and doing quite a lot of work in that space through the leadership stuff that I do I have some ideas myself so I thank you as well even for for providing me with or increasing the possibilities um, of the kind of work that I do and what you've shared so far um, I have I think probably my final question before we wrap up and that's what advice do you have for people wanting to to leave their job or start their own business being, you know, having gone through what you have gone through, what would be if you're someone's mentor um, and and they're asking that, what, what would you give? What advice would you give? Well, of course, the, the key piece, you know, in a coaching situation would be really around asking questions. So um, I would not be jumping into the advice role very quickly. Um, 
unless I was consulting. But if I was coaching, I'd be asking a lot of powerful questions to discover, you know, where they were feeling strong and where they were feeling like they needed support. And so it's hard to say, you know, right off the bat, a hypothetical situation for someone, you know, what, what, what would one do if one wanted to jump into the role of being an entrepreneur from having been in a, um, in a traditional job for a long time? Some people suggest having a side hustle, you know, doing, doing it on the side of their table. And some people say, no, just jump all in at a certain point. Uh, I, I am, you know, I encourage people to try the side hustle, you know, to experiment with that. But until you take the big leap, you're not really going to know um, if, if it is for you. So at some point, probably rather sooner than later, taking that big leap of faith and uh, going all in is going to be required because doing it as a side gig limits your capacity to put your full energy um, emotionally and physically into a next project. So that would be my advice is, um, you know, go all in at some point. Hire you know, a coach. Yeah. <laughs> and, and hire a coach. Yeah. Hire a coach. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just to kind of ask you the questions. It's not that you have the answers within you. And it's just really about accessing that and asking yourself, like you said about success, it's about asking the questions you may not have asked yourself. What, what does it really look like? And um, yeah, designing, designing the, you know, dreaming big too, playing big, you know, that, that's another piece that I love to, to help people with is just playing, a, playing with a bigger life than uh, they may have uh, limited themselves to. Do you think people do dream too small? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I think that people want to limit their expectations. And I think expectations is are, are, can be a dangerous thing, but they want to limit their dreams because they have a fear of being disappointed if they don't do it. And, you know, like that, that kind of gets me feeling a bit emotional, like saying that because I, uh, you know, it's, it's such a common thing. And, it, and it's, I think it's natural, right, that people don't want to be disappointed in themselves. But that whole what if, you know, that what if that playing with possibility, what if you, you imagined a bigger life? And what if you took the steps every day, a little bit of progress, a little bit of progress, to move yourself in that direction? Just the journey itself is going to be worth it, you know, whether you reach that big picture or not um you took the steps and that's really what matters you took that journey so that's what excites me is seeing people you know get on the journey to their to their big dreams do you have a big hairy scary dream yeah the big hairy audacious goal um (laughs) my big hairy audacious goal is to be speaking in more and more countries uh, more diversity of countries. So not just North America and Europe, I, I'd love to speak in New Zealand and Africa and India. And, and so those are my really big, hairy, audacious goals. Uh, for those that are on Facebook Live can see, I have a wall of post-it notes behind me, uh, which are basically the playful mindset. Um, that is the book I'm working on. Uh, Play with Possibility podcast is about interviewing business leaders. So uh, meeting 
more and more business leaders that are embodying the playful mindset within their work culture is a big dream of mine. So, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to meet Tony Shea from Zappos this uh, just a couple months ago. So I'm interviewing some really interesting people. So if people know companies where that is uh, embedded in their culture, I am super excited to interview them for my book and my podcast and kind of like just get that message out there to more people. That's my big, hairy, audacious goal. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And so how will pe- could people reach you if they're either wanting to be interviewed for your book, hire you for a session, get coaching from you? What's the best way for them to find out more about you and to reach out to you? Well, I have a website, integrateplay.com, and I'm on social media. So uh, Kirsten Anderson is on Instagram, on LinkedIn. And of course, uh, my email is just kirsten at integrateplay.com. Awesome. And I will include some of those in the show notes as well. Kirsten, that's it. Our play is finished. Um, So, so very much for playing with me. This morning and and sharing all of what you have all of your time and all of what you did uh today with both myself and my listeners thank you go out and play every day go out and play every day i plan on it <laughs> and of course as well a big shout out to all of you my loyal listeners and my producer at contact talk radio network cameron Steele. and in closing i would like to leave you with a quote to ponder that i read this morning from vincent van gogh what would life be if we had no courage to attempt anything. So until next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, I'm Louise Atreed, wishing you all a bold, courageous, and playful day. Goodbye, my friends.